The aftermath of nonviolence is the creation of the beloved community. Let us never fight with falsehood and violence and hate and malice, but always fight with love so that when the day comes that the walls of segregation have completely crumbled, we will be able to live with people as their brothers and sisters. Welcome to the Beloved Community Podcast, brought to you by KUAF and the Northwest Arkansas Martin Luther King Jr. Council. The Beloved Community Podcast is designed with community in mind. We seek to highlight individuals and organizations that strive to build Dr. King's beloved community in the Northwest Arkansas region, the state of Arkansas, and beyond. Each month, you'll hear from leaders in our community working to combat poverty, racism, and equality, and promote the ideals of the beloved community where injustice ceases and love prevails. Be inspired to join the movement. Good afternoon, Northwest Arkansas. We greet you from KUF Studios in beautiful downtown Fayetteville, Arkansas. Welcome to the Beloved Community Podcast, episode six. Wow, episode six. Um, We are glad to have our very special guest today, Mrs. Sarah Moore, council person, council, should we say council person, councilwoman? Council person or council member. Those, council those, member. Those, those thank whole, you. Those whole work. Thank you. Sarah for, also works. Sarah, <laughs> thank you for giving me the humanizing language already. Thank you. Thank you, Mrs. Moore. Um, but we are talking with Sarah Moore uh, this afternoon uh, for episode six of our beloved community podcast. And for those of you that don't know Sarah, Sarah Moore is a lifelong Arkansan. Residing in Fayetteville, Arkansas, Sarah studied marketing management at the University of Arkansas, then held roles in trade, category management, and sales for a Fortune 500 company. Upon departure, Sarah managed product lines of $38 million across the U.S. The growing disparities and lack of access to needed community resources for loved ones led her to advocacy spaces in 2016. Sarah is one of the co-founders of Arkansas Justice Reform Coalition, started in January of 2019 with initial focus on stopping jail expansion, which to date has prevented over $300 million in needless incarceration. AJRC advocates for ending mass incarceration through education and awareness, direct aid and policy and legislative change, led by the individuals and families directly impacted. Sarah joined the Fayetteville City Council for Ward 2, covering downtown Fayetteville in January of 2023, where she enjoys some of her favorite places with her family, the Fayetteville Public Library, Wilson Park, and Arcegas. Again, it is our pleasure to welcome you, Sarah. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Good. So first of all, Sarah, I jokingly mentioned humanizing language, and we were kind of talking before Um, We actually went on air about humanizing language as it relates to your work that you do um, with AJRC. So maybe you could help educate our listeners on um, the humanizing language you use to try to centralize um, the fact that they these are human beings that are a part of a carceral system. 
um, rather than becoming caricatures of that particular system. No, I appreciate um, that question. Um, and, you know, we, we all uh, try to assimilate to a similar, you know, language or lingo um, within different industries. And so uh, the carceral system is no different. Um, you know, it's easier for us all to use very short shortening terms, um, things like prisoner um, or inmate. Uh, but the truth of the matter is that um, individuals that um, end up uh, either locked up in a local county jail or, or in our state prison system, their mothers, their daughters, their sisters and brothers and cousins, um, their engineers, you know, their service workers, um, they, they um, fill a multitude of roles. They have a spectrum of humanity. Uh, and so it's incredibly important when we're speaking about individuals um, so that we, we can think about them in this multidimensional, you know, multifaceted way that, you know, you and I, you know, each, um, you know, have, you know, 50, 100 different uh, labels and perspectives and, and life experiences that we fulfill as part of our community. Um, and so as we make plans or make investments in our community, when we talk about that, those individuals in that way, um, that this is, um, you know, a detained community member. You know, they, they are, you know, lo- currently in a, a local county jail. However, they're a mom and, you know, they're a volunteer at their school uh, and they are, you know, working on, you know, potentially getting higher education. Uh, and so uh, thinking about folks in those terms allows for us um, to be um, more holistic in how we think about the types of policies that we have, about the types of community investments. Um, but at the end of the day, again, they are a loved one that's going to be um, in community with us, that's going to be um, interacting in spaces together with us. And so it's incredibly important that we really center their humanity in these conversations because each of us wants to be seen for the unique human individual that we are um, and to have our needs met appropriately based on that uniqueness that we have. Yeah. Wow. That's really beautiful. I agree with that sentiment. Um, so along those lines, in terms of humanizing, um, provide us an overview of the, the mission of AJRC. Um, why do you exist? What was the impetus for forming? Yeah, so the Arkansas Justice Reform Coalition is um, really just a grassroots group of individuals that have um, concern about our region and the state of Arkansas about how um, we're meeting unmet need. Um, We came together originally to stop gel expansion, and you mentioned that. Um, We're very proud of the fact that we've pushed back on over 300 million of gel expansion, which is concerning because it shows that we unfortunately continue to go down a pathway that we, um, as a community, have said really doesn't work and we don't want to continue to keep doing the same old thing. However, we keep having the same conversation. And so um, uh, Arkansas Justice Reform Coalition has um, just kind of organically um, continued to interact in the um, community and across the state, talking to individuals and their families who have been Um, impacted by arrest and incarceration, um, by lack of resources that were needed whenever um, they were maybe in crisis, um, and trying to elevate um, those stories and elevate those concerns and the needs, but also um, trying to imagine together what the solutions can look like. Um, Because 
we can dream of a different world. And then when we dream of it and we start to picture and visualize it, we have the tools and the ability, the people have the power to put in place the policies, to put in place the spending that puts those things into place. And across the nation, um, there are um, areas and cities and communities that are doing this work. And so it's not a rainbow and it's not a unicorn. These are things that um, we can touch and fill, that we uh, can come together um, and put in place in our communities that um, are backed by evidence, um, have proven that they work in other areas, that they actually have created um, increased public safety. Uh, and so uh, Arkansas Justice Reform Coalition, really for us, ending mass incarceration and really putting in place um, processes and, and uh, healing and caring uh, systems and, and treatment and, and, you know, having affordable housing. It kind of goes into all these different um, areas of our community. Uh, so as our uh, uh, individuals that interact with us and, and families bring forward um, things that they have that are of concern, uh, I think that we continue to uh, look at those and to work together to see how uh, there are solutions so that we can all thrive across mm. our state. Yeah. Thank you for that. So can you speak to maybe a little bit more what some solutions are or, or how you all as an organization um, bring to the table solutions to counter maybe the argument that some folks may have um, that see the need for jail expansion or see that as the only answer to ensuring that the public is safe um, and i.e. you hear, or at least I hear that a lot of times um, with, particularly in some certain political circles, et cetera, they feel that the only way to ensure public safety is to get the criminals off the street, if you will, and thusly means creating larger and more expensive carceral systems. How um, would you address that? Uh, as an organization, what would be some some workable solutions to counter that narrative? Well, <clears throat> the truth of the matter is that, um, you know, most individuals, even if they're arrested or detained, they're coming back into our communities. Um, and so, you know, really where um, our organization has stepped forward is that, unfortunately, in the state of Arkansas and even in our region, we don't have great data. We don't have great tools at our fingertips to really understand the scope of, of what we're trying to solve for. And so, um, you know, who are we arresting? Why are we arresting individuals? And um, who has, is being held in our jails? And who is being held in our prisons? Um, and are we happy with those outcomes? That's been a, a big part of the conversation that we began. Um, the truth of the matter is if you look at Washington County, um, and you look over the last several, several years, the vast majority of individuals that are sitting in our local county jail uh, with a population today of about 800 individuals, um, two-thirds of those are innocent, they're presumed innocent, that are facing pending court charges. And because they are too poor, they are not able to buy their freedom. So let's, let's think about that and pause for a second. You know, we are very uh, we are a, a nation that really values liberty and freedom and our constitutional protections. And I just told you that those individuals can't buy their freedom. 
you know, why are we not out in the streets, you know, um, screaming, you know, about the fact that these people are being detained in this way? How is this constitutional? So um, and then of those individuals that are in the jail, um, uh, the vast majority of those are on things that are very what are considered kind of low level charges, which means they're not violent. The vast majority are not violent charges. They're related to um, the need for mental health, the need for addiction and recovery services, uh, the need for housing. Um, at any given time over the last um, a year and a half when we've looked at the jail population, um, easily 100 individuals have been listed as homeless or our local Seven Hills Homeless um, Center location. Uh, and so, you know, we're, we're solving for housing at our jail. And so um, I've kind of told you some of, some of this is what, the, what it looks like. But, you know, the, the truth of the matter is, is that we can do a lot of things differently. We, um, instead of spending $30,000 a year to jail somebody locally in the Washington County Jail, like what could we do with that money, right? It's like, what's the trade-off? Um, we have the ability to really... Um, put permanent supportive housing in place for individuals instead of putting them um, in, in a jail facility um, to recognize that they uh, might need extra care to navigate through systems um, to to get through the court process, but to then, you know, exit fully out of the system by getting uh, necessary treatment. Uh, we also um, have worked with some individuals in, in Lawrence, Kansas, um, called Justice Matters. Um, they put a ballot initiative on and said, you know, we want to invest in a treatment and recovery center. Um, and their um, community said, held hands and said, let's do that. And so they now have a place where um, you can walk in and you can get a medication update. You can stay for 24 hours um, and get um, leveled out, uh, or it can stay 72 hours. And um, additionally, beside that, there's some uh, transitional living and some smaller cottages for people uh, to live close by to where they can uh, get that needed care. So those are just, you know, a, a little bit of an example. But um, the truth is, is that, you know, it's very wide open uh, on where those trade-offs of that spending can be. But as a community, you know, we all can kind of envision and dream. And um, I hear quite often locally in our region, and we've said it in our state, that we're in a mental health crisis. The truth of the matter is over the last several years, you know, we have less mental health resources than we did previously. And so solving for some of those gaps in health care um, is really going to prevent individuals from going down that carceral path um, that doesn't have any healing, doesn't have restoration, um, and, and again, doesn't contribute to public safety because it's not helping to stabilize those individuals. Um, giving people um, the appropriate mental health uh, tools and treatment and care um, is proven, you know, that it keeps um, folks stabilized in the community. So, one, they can uh, stop going into acute care in hospitals, which is quite costly, but additionally, uh, don't have those very dangerous interactions with law enforcement. Um, and then additionally um, end up in county jails um, who are not equipped um, to take care of the extensive needs of these individuals, which are costly in both staff personnel, medication, um, and medical needs that these, these individuals present. Um, and then, you know, the unfortunate uh, uh, truth is that 
Um, oftentimes, you know, these in individuals too um, are at their most vulnerable when they're in these places, um, you know, where, uh, you know, it, it can be a, a matter of life and death for them. Mm. Wow. So what has been um, local law enforcement's response to your work as you approach them with some of these, I wouldn't even call, um, I mean, what you're describing doesn't sound very revolutionary um, to me and somewhat practical, I would say. So what what's their response to wor- working with you all to implement some of these practical common sense solutions to to reform? Well, um, there there's definitely been um, some change and some new implementation of things since we first began. Um, you know, I want to, you know, applaud that there have been efforts um, by local law enforcement, um, Fayetteville and Springdale Police Departments in particular, um, both t- took on social workers in their departments, recognizing um, that they did have a need for more diversion. Um, they did have a need for how they um, interacted with parts of our population that, you know, didn't necessarily need to see a hardened uniform uh, person show up when they were in their middle of crisis. Um, and so those are steps in the right direction. Um, we advocated here locally um, for mental health court. Um, and we're really excited um, and appreciate local decision makers between um, Judge um, Stevenson, uh, Matt Durrett, um, the judges and, and folks in Benton County. So Washington and Benton counties um, will be uh, expanding their specialty courts and will have mental health court in place. And so um, that's been something um, that we have really um, gone and looked at in other areas across the state and in uh, neighboring states to look at how those are structured. Um, the other thing that um, we're very excited about um, that we've spoken a lot about is um, the use of peer recovery specialists locally. Uh, the state of Arkansas has um, gotten um, in a bigger way around the fact that people with direct lived experience um, actually have incredible value um, and have this opportunity for a very dignified employment. But above all, um, they're actually the expert in working directly um, with those individuals in our community that need um, a certain response um, from somebody that has immediate rapport, who's walked that path and knows how to walk out, you know, out of that um, crisis um, that those individuals are experiencing. And so um, we're really excited that um, locally there's been the increase of peer recovery specialists used in our local courts, um, and they're being looked at um, for um, different uh, systems uh, throughout the community. And so we think there's a lot of opportunity for growth there for how we work to go de-escalate areas of possible um, stress in our community, which we know can lead to interpersonal violence. We think there's big opportunities um, that we see with um, things like Aim for Peace in Kansas City, uh, Cure Violence out of Chicago, um, that uses people that are these credible messengers. Uh, and so what what we are appreciative of is while we're not there yet, um, there have been um, some softening and some um, opening of viewpoints um, when you have had uh, our chiefs of police and our sheriffs saying, you know, we can't arrest our way 
out of these situations, and this is not the appropriate answer. And so being willing to look at, while we don't have full agreement on all things, being willing to look at additional pathways that help to exit people um, out of arrest and out of incarceration. Yeah, and hopefully, just in my mind, that also leads to less, for lack of a better term, over-policing in minority communities, which tend to be, um, I think data shows, tend to be over-policed. Um, you just tend to see more arrest. You were speaking earlier about people that just kind of sit in jail, um, um, waiting to buy their freedom, so to speak, um, and that tends to happen more in minority communities at large, and also I would say in um, the lower class, if you will, communities to borrow uh, the phrase. So, um, so hopefully that would um, we could see a change there as well. Um, I did want to ask you kind of to revisit um, what you talked about earlier, but in terms of uh, the carceral system, do you feel that there is uh, locally an overpopulation issue? Well, Arkansas um, historically has been a state that over-incarcerates. Mm -hmm. um, if you look at, depending on which list, um, prison policy um, has put out some numbers, but we're either <clears throat> the number four or the number five incarcerator in the entire nation. Oh, wow. The United States is the largest incarcerator in the world. Uh, so if you mm -hmm. kind of let that sink in, mm -hmm. um, you know, I feel very strongly as a lifelong Arkansans that Arkansans are no more um, criminal uh, or violent or, or need to be criminally charged in a higher rate than those across the U.S. And, and why do we do that? You know, you, you kind of peel back the layers of the onion and our state is historically a more impoverished state. Um, we tend to make the list for lack of education, for high teen pregnancy rates, um, and for, you know, lack of opportunity towards education and, and uh, higher paying jobs. Um, and so, uh, unfortunately, you know, what happens is, you know, poor um, states, we find folks in desperation, right, um, uh, potentially finding their way into uh, these systems, um, these systems that then get set up um, in a way that monetize off of these families. And so it's just a self-fulfilling prophecy that if you build it, they will come. And I want people to really think about that and let that sink in uh, because just because in our region uh, we have a, a growing population um, doesn't mean necessarily that you need more jail beds. Um, I've heard it simplified and stated that it's just an infrastructure improvement like we would do parks or the library. Um, our parks and our libraries don't take our liberty. Um, additionally, many of those areas have been historically more underfunded in the state of Arkansas. Um, and if you look across um, the jail beds and you look at the increase that we've um, jailed individuals, um, we've continued to do that, you know, at an ever-increasing um, rate here in Arkansas. So kind of want to level set um, on, on what's happening there. So um what was your original question, Chris, though? Sorry, I kind of probably meandered a little no, bit. No, I, I was just, I think I was asking about um, the over, or was there an overpopulation? Um, yeah. 
opportunity or problem yeah, and locally so, yeah. or even statewide um, in the state of Arkansas. So you'll hear it um, explained, yeah, as we've got overcrowding at the jail, and I would say we have over-incarceration. Um, and so the Department of Justice um, has a jail planning standards guide. Um, that's a best practice that basically says if you have a jail bed, you'll fill it. And so you need to plan your policies and your community um, and really hold yourself accountable to how you use those. Because every single one of those beds, you know, you're paying lots of money. I mean, this is this is your biggest line item budgets um, in your counties and in your state are these jails and our prison beds. And so um, it ends up being a return on investment. If it doesn't increase community safety, which the numbers show, um, that additional incarceration doesn't isn't uh, making us any safer. In fact, um, we actually have laid out as AJRC and presented it to Washington and Benton counties. There's no direct correlation to our population changing and uh, what our crime charges are. We have times where our population goes up by 1%, but our charges go up by 2%. Or we might have a, a flattening of our population and our charges go down by several percent. And so the truth of the matter is that, you know, those that we put in jail and prison are directly uh, correlated to the types of policies um, and the types of uh, policing practices and court practices that we put in place. And so, um, no, I, I, I don't think that we're overcrowded. I think that we have a jail problem. I think that um, it has become um, Arkansas's nature and our region's nature that when we have a part of our population that we don't necessarily know how to appropriately um, meet them where they need to be met. Um, the easiest solution is to put them in that place where they're out of sight, out of mind, until you have that budget conversation again. And then when you see our busting budget, which um, everyone right now, you know, you have your county and your cities across the, the region, across the state, that are looking at their budgets for 24. And and those meetings can be really tedious and long, but I want to encourage people to pay attention because right now they are faced with ballooning budgets. We had lots of federal money come in, but because of some of our decision-making and those biggest line items in our budget being sheriffs and jails and law enforcement, we are going to see major or we are seeing major pressures on our city and county budgets because of some of those decisions. And so, again, if these don't keep us any safer, then we really have to start to evaluate those areas where we don't have that housing that I talked about earlier um, of those individuals that are unfortunately, you know, finding their housing provided in our local jail um, and the, the mental health um, needed for folks that have serious mental illness. We shouldn't have people living, you know, years in our county jails um, waiting to go to the state hospital um, so they are not fully restored. Um, they are, you know, in misery. They are um, not having their health care needs met. Um, they're humans, right? They're, they're our loved ones. And, uh, and so, again, we're, we're putting folks there um, because we don't seem to have any other solutions. But we have solutions available to us, and we just have to have the fortitude and the vision of, of being able to invest in those things that really keep our community safe because they exit people out long term. And so you see a, a direct correlation then between local government's budgets to fund um, carceral systems versus those dollars going to 
um, other line items and budgets, i.e. housing, mental health care, et cetera, that would potentially, I'm thinking about, and I mean, I know we have a, a housing crisis, quote unquote, here in Northwest Arkansas um, that we hear about and we have certainly a, uh, a homelessness or houselessness um, um, crisis here as well. But those dollars could certainly be shifted from um, the carceral state to other item, line items in, in the budget to maybe more adequately address those issues. Because if not, potentially these folks could end up in a jail bed for a minor infraction. Correct. Is that, is that right? No, that's, I mean, that absolutely sums it up. Absolutely, mm -hmm. yes. Mm -hmm. Whenever cities and counties in our state say that these are our strategic priorities, we should be asking as the taxpayer, what funds are you putting behind those priorities to fund those initiatives because you've said that those are important? Um, just like we sit um, as families at our kitchen tables and we look at our budget and we know we have X amount of dollars and we set our priorities. If we want to take an extra vacation um, or we know that we're going to need a new roof on our house, you know, we're going to budget appropriately. And so I see cities and counties know differently that when we talk about um, recognizing we're in a mental health crisis, recognizing that we're in a housing crisis, if you can't directly look at our budgets and see us putting spending towards those efforts, towards those benchmark projects that will get us closer to those goals that we've defined, then that's a huge disconnect. And we're doing a disservice to the taxpayer um, I would say it's it's a it's a we're not living up to uh, as elected officials they're not living up to 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 taking care of the fiscal and the the unmet needs in our community in an appropriate way um, and it should be pointed out by the community and those folks should either uh, you know help to to alleviate that to to redirect and to get into compliance with what the community is asking us to do to meet those strategic goals. Um, or those leaders should be challenged. Yeah. Um, and I'd like to encourage people to consider that more um, because we need more individuals in our community with direct um, lived experience uh, who are the experts. Um, the every, everyday community members have the power and have the ability uh, to come in and to really um, create this level of change that we can align more closely our dollars to what our strategic priorities are. Mm -hmm. So do you think there needs to be a recapturing then of, of the narrative piece by organizations like AJRC and others from certain other um, organizations and even um, political figures that have kind of taken that narrative and run with it uh, um, i.e. where, I mean, I don't hear it as much anymore, but I remember at one point it was the defund the police narrative and, and people in certain circles just kind of took that and ran with it and meant that, um, that there was absolutely no want of public safety whatsoever. And for me, that never is what it meant. I never understood it that way more than just a 
reallocation of resources. Public safety is absolutely a necessity. Um, nobody wants to be able to call 911 and not get anybody on the end of the line um, if it's needed. But yet at the same time, if there's an ability to reallocate resources to meet felt needs um, without expanding jail beds um, for the very same people like we've been talking about that may end up in that bed for the m most minute misdemeanor of infractions. And um, so do you think there's a, just a need potentially to recapture the narrative? Has the narrative been lost? Is it, I mean, I don't know. Um, you tell me. Well, this, this is a, this is a big question. Mm -hmm. You know, this is a, um, I mean, yes, all of the above. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the truth of the matter is that, um, I think that Arkansans and people in our region, Northwest Arkansas, are incredibly caring. Uh, they're hardworking. They take care of their neighbors. Um, they're community-minded. But at the same time, um, we also um, have a very strong uh, feeling uh, in our state about uh, picking ourselves up by our bootstraps um, and oftentimes can be very punitive-minded as our response, very harsh, um, whenever we feel like someone um, has created a wrong, that our right oftentimes is to, to pummel that individual, right? And so that's kind of how the carceral system works is that you, you fall out of line slightly and we just club you with a big stick, right? Well, I mean, just like we've um, evolved in our parenting styles, you know, there's been a lot of like love and logic parenting. Um, a lot of it is more about dangling those positive sticks out there, right? It's yeah. It's exampling about the kinds of behaviors we'd like to have happen. Really, across our state and our region, what we need to be um, doing together is really redefining what public safety is. We need to be having much more robust, comprehensive conversations about what keeps us safe. Because you do hear, you know, some mantras out there that we keep us safe. And that is the truth, right? Our communities keep each other safe, our villages, um, their faith groups, their civic groups, um, their tightly knit neighborhoods that look out for each other. And so public safety is not just you call 911. It's not just police and fire. What does public safety look like for all of us? And for myself, it looks like um, adequate, appropriate, affordable housing and housing as a human right. Uh, it looks like health care that meets us exactly where we are, regardless of our ability to pay. It means that no child in this state is hungry. Um, and it means that, you know, everyone is able to um, navigate through our uh, community and have economic mobility uh, and, and meet all of their basic needs. And so um, this redefinition of public safety then only makes logical sense as you have the conversation about what actually delivers on creating a safe community that you have to align your dollars. And so that gets you into the conversation about what you mentioned, reallocation of resources. The truth of the matter is that in the state of Arkansas, we are incredibly taxed. I just told you that we're, in, we're a very poor state. Most of the available jobs in the state of Arkansas pay less than $15 an hour. Folks are, you know, doing their best 
um, to be able to make ends meet and oftentimes are coming up short. And so I would say that decision makers have to start getting incredibly creative with the dollars that we're bringing in today because um, extra taxation is um, unfortunately usually quite disproportionate towards our, our, our working poor. Um, and so we need to be aware of that and that equity conversation when we're and so um, it's always easier in conversations to create drama or to create divisiveness so that you don't have to listen to this additional viewpoint or conversation. I think that we're smarter than that. Um, I think that, again, um, Arkansans care more than that, and people in our region care more. Um, and we have the ability with um, all of the ingenuity, um, all of the um, incredibly um, smart and innovative thinkers um, to really kind of redesign what this looks like. And, you know, for a lot of us, too, um, what are we leaving for the future? Uh, we are on a very unsustainable pathway. Um, if you look at, again, going back to our conversation about budgets and whether or not we can continue to do some of these same things that we're doing every single year, it's not sustainable. Uh, and so we have to really be thinking about the kind of future that we're leaving for our children and their children. Um, and so I think that nothing is out of reach and nothing is out of bounds. And we need to see more of our community coming to the table in that manner that it's kind of all hands on deck about how we solve for um, what safety looks like going forward. Um, and I hope that we can stay away from the inflamed rhetoric and instead we can be more community minded and think about how we all work together to solve for the things that we want to achieve. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So switching gears a little bit, you are, as we mentioned, um, on serve on the Fayetteville City Council. So what is that experience like? How has it been? What is it like? How has it been like? Well, Chris, um, <laughs> Uh, well, I would say that, um, you know, anyone can do it, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, um, uh, you know, I have a varied background, and so do, you know, many of the folks that um, also sit on the Fayetteville City Council. There are eight, eight of us total. Um, but um, it's been, you know, a, quite a learning experience. You know, it's one thing to um, be very active and participate as an engaged um, local resident, um, but to then, you know, be in that seat um, where you get to make those decisions. Um, the truth is that, you know, governments have all kinds of minutia that um, you get to learn to navigate um, that are rules of engagement that are not in any kind of playbook or any kind of onboarding. Um, and so, you know, those, those are challenging for sure. And those take some time to get used to um, processes. Um, but Again, I just, I feel very hopeful um, and I feel very privileged and I feel like I've taken on a, a really big responsibility that I feel like I owe many individuals who entrusted the seat to me um, to really be making decisions in a way that can create the type of change that is needed for the next 10, 20, and 30 years to come. Um, and so I feel, um, you know, a huge weight um, in the decisions that we make. And I take this role really seriously um, because 
governments can make people's lives better. And I think that that is their role. And I think any time that they're getting in the way of that or they're preventing that, um, then that has to change. And so um, that that can be quite you know challenging um, to 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 have change because we're you know we all are creatures of habit and um, uh, our, our our human nature I think is to probably fight against change. I, I definitely say that I'd probably be that 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 as well. You know, it's much easier to live in your comfort spot. Um, so, uh, but yes, I mean, coming into the role um, of Fayetteville City Council, um, being kind of an engaged, active resident, and then moving into the seat, um, you know, has been very educational, um, has brought with it lots of incredible opportunities. Um, and then, you know, I'm just very excited um, for the future to think about the types of things that could be put in place that my children um, get to continue to carry on going forward. Hmm. That's great. So how does your work with AJRC and just your interactions locally as a citizen, but again, also your work uh, with um, AJRC, how does that influence you now with your role on the council? Well, I mean, I think it it directly does. You know, Mm -hmm. I've heard different things between individuals who say, um, you know, you you have to really separate that or you have to take that hat off to put this hat on. Um, I disagree with that strongly. I think the the reason that I'm in the role and the reason that the um, Ward 2 voters put me into office was because they recognized the focus that I had made in the community to really start to try to, you know, solve for some of these unmet needs and and was, you know, willing to, to put in the energy and effort to, you know, I'm not the expert in everything, but to really, you know, uh, go learn and, and, and work towards implementing things that were best practices. And so um, I think that my work uh, that I was have been lucky to do um, with the coalition um, is, a, is a, a direct reflection on my work in the council. I mean, it is my... Um, very strong belief that we are accountable to this community, that we're accountable to each other, um, that we're in a, uh, a really strong inflection point in our region, and that these decisions that we're making right now are really going to set the tone um, for what my children inherit. Um, and so uh I would say that the way that I navigate and and uh, sit in the city council role is directly related to being concerned about justice, to wanting to do the work of justice, to um, wanting to make sure that I'm being accountable, that every single voice that doesn't get to sit at that same seat that I do has some level of consideration and elevation, um, you know, regardless of them being the majority. I think that every voice in Fayetteville is incredibly important. Mm. That's awesome. So what gives you hope, um, Sarah? Um, What challenges do you anticipate in the realm of prison reform and justice initiatives? Oh, (laughs) <laughs> that's, again, that's a big one, Chris. Um, <laughs> you know, we really, 
the the challenges are really all of the limitations that we place on ourselves, really. And so, um, you know, the limitations I see are whether or not, you know, we're really willing as communities to be collaborative when we say that word. You know, is it a and, and are these buzzwords that we say in our communities um, that we we care about each other or we want equity? Um, where are the actions behind those? Um, and so um, I think that that's, that's the challenge is that um, we can buy into an ethos or we can subscribe um, or put up uh, the social media posting or the yard sign, but are we willing to step up and vote in the way that puts the leadership in place that we need? Are we willing to make the decisions in those um, seats that get to to be a part of the discussion and create that change. Um, and so, I, I mean, I'm hopeful because I, I think that there are so many uh, well-meaning uh, people who love the city of Fayetteville, who love Arkansas, um, who are very invested in our communities and have a good heart. Um, we just all have to continue to check our temperature and, and you know, um, kind of check in our metrics and Sometimes we have um, the the vision and the hope that we are um, we're going to have a certain impact on our community, um, but sometimes uh, those decisions we make are shooting us off course. And so, even the most well intentioned things, right, can have outcomes um, that we don't necessarily um, want to have um, taking place in our community. So, I see that as our our challenge is that um, we can't be um, just tied to just because it makes us feel good or I think I'm doing good, that that's enough. Um, we have to really measure whether or not we actually are closing these gaps um, and bringing more voices forward um, and creating, you know, again, a, a region and a community where we all can thrive. And if anyone's falling in the gaps, I mean, we need to be looking at those gaps and we need to be reassessing and readjusting our plan. Um, and that means our spending. Um, and then if, if we can't do that, it means new elected leadership. And I mean that for myself as well. I mean, that's everybody um, who has been entrusted um, by the taxpayers, um, you know, by our residents to make sure that we're looking out for the well-being of all of our community members. Mm. Wow. That's incredible. Sounds like she's Wanting to build the beloved community. <laughs> That's the plan, <laughs> right, Chris? <laughs> that is the plan. That is the plan. Um, so if there's one message or takeaway that you would like uh, our listeners to have after this podcast, what would it be? One person makes a difference. Like, we all have the power. And we have to decide where we're going to direct that power and where, how we're going to use it. Um and, and it looks different for every individual. Um, but even if people are downtrodden, I really want to encourage them that they matter, that, you know, we're glad that you're here, um, that, you know, your experiences and your perspectives matter. Um, and even if your voice shakes, speak up. Even if your pen shakes, write the message, um, you know, show up in that space. And um, we will continue to try to make the available the space available for more people. Um, but for those that, that feel courageous, 
go create the space for yourself because um, the people have the power and even one voice makes a difference. Awesome. Sarah Moore, it's been a pleasure talking to you, my friend. How can folks uh, get in contact with you? Oh, sure. Um, well, if uh, they'd like to talk to me in a city council capacity, they're welcome to um, uh, hit me up on my city email. Um, it's sarah.moore at fayetteville-ar.gov. Uh, Arkansas Justice Reform Coalition, where I spend a lot of my time, uh, is on Facebook. Um, we're on Instagram and Twitter, uh, and we can be reached out to by email at arkansasjusticereform at gmail.com. Um, and we're all over the community, so um, we, we run warrant clinics and record-selling clinics and would love to um, you know, talk to folks if they've got ideas about things that they want to see um, happen in our community. So um, you can find us. They are everywhere. They're doing great work in the community. We appreciate all that you're doing, Sarah and uh, Arkansas Justice Reform Coalition. I think you guys are also looking at a bit of a rebrand, correct? We are. We're a bit of a mouthful. You know, <laughs> we came together, like I said, organically um, some years ago, and uh, we are looking at maybe a slight um, shortening of our name so that it's not such a mouthful for folks. I appreciate that you got the whole thing out, Chris. Thank you. <laughs> um, so, you know, those that was very intentional, and there was thought behind each of those words so that we really communicated who we were, um, that we are this collection of voices. Um, uh, but, you know, for us, reform's not enough. Um, we are an abolitionist organization, and we feel very strongly um, that systems of oppression have no place here. Uh, and so the current systems um, in place are so strong that, you know, there's, there's no way to reform them. Uh, they have to be replaced with something, again, that's healing and restorative for our community. So, um, so yes, uh, we'd love to hear people's feedback. And, uh, yes, look for us to um, – we're still the same org. We're still going to continue to get into all kinds of uh, good trouble um, here in the region and across the state of Arkansas until we see the end of mass incarceration um, but yes, we'll we'll be under, going under a slight uh, rebrand. So, but we'll still still be out there where you can find us. All right, well, folks, that's going to do it for us today at the Beloved Community Podcast. We appreciate you tuning in. Uh, again, I am Chris Seawood. I serve as treasurer of the Northwest Arkansas MLK Council. And as always, you can find us on all of our social media pages: Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn, um, and our website as well, www.nwamlk.org. We'll see you in the beloved community. Bye-bye.